Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Everybody, I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for that amazing introduction, as always. Please check him out on the Internet. He's a native storyteller, and his story in and of itself is amazing. His work is phenomenal, and it's a kind of history we all want to be aware of. I have one of my favorite authors with me today, and I've read at least two of his books and have a few more that are on the back burner, and he has constantly challenged my, my mind and sent me in directions of, of research myself. But on top of that, he has, he has the ability to, to weave a story around historical events that brings you right into the time frame and makes you more greatly aware of the culture and the history and what was going on during that time that the book is all about. Tobias Curitan is internationally recognized for his insightful books on esoteric spiritual history, art, and philosophy. Accessible and scholarly, his works address believers and doubters alike and remarkably have stimulated spiritual experiences in some of his readers. I would be surprised if anybody who read this book was not awakened on some level within themselves. He has successfully widened the appeal of so-called esoteric spirituality with his warm style and depth of knowledge. He has entertained <clears throat> many thousands of readers in the process. He's also a filmmaker, lecturer, poet, and musician, and has recently recorded his orchestrated score for his prospective dramatic project, William Blank, Love is on Fire. And while his, mus and while his musical about Nancy Kennard and Henry Crowder, You, Me, and Yesterday, was, which was co-written with artist and songwriter John Myatt, was performed to a great acclaim at the Litchfield Garrick Theater in 2011. He's composed and recorded six albums of original music. He has written dozens of books, and, and I took most of this bio off of his website, which I bet has not been updated for quite a while, so that 
you can increase the number in everything. But it is truly my honor to have him on the show today. Tobias, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here, Barbara. Absolutely uh, great to speak to you again. And what a nice introduction. (laughs) Well, your bio says you've written 23 books. Is it more than that now? Yeah, I've just finished my 24th commissioned book. And uh, I think that ought to be enough for anyone. I think uh, Ecclesiastes says, of making many books, there is no end. And I always have that in (laughs) mind every time I start another one. Well, the the current um, one, is is that the Pillars of Enoch or...? That's the next one to come out. That's, uh, that'll be out uh, at the end of this year, The Lost Pillars of Enoch, uh, right. which is an exciting book. And then I've just finished another one. It'll be the last of my Alistair Crowley biographies. Uh, it's called Alistair Crowley in England, and uh, that rounds up that adventure. Well, now I've, I've read one of your books on Alistair Crowley, and I, I highly recommend those books to, um, to people as well because it gives gives a person a greater understanding of the man and what he was about as opposed to the um nasty stories that have been you know circulated about him and uh i have a greater appreciation of crowley because of the book that you wrote and um the one we're going to be talking about today the mysteries of john the baptist um yes it's I'm, I'm particularly fond of this book, The Mysteries of John the Baptist. It's quite a long time now since I wrote it. I think it's about eight years ago. And, um, but, you know, if, if there were certain books I'd hope to get into heaven on, that would be one of them. I, re- I really do think I, was, I, I, I had a kind of extraordinary sense of guidance um, when I was writing it, which really means I was just was sticking to the truth and... Uh, opened myself to whatever was coming my way and, and looking at it seriously. It was great. It was great to come to something that people think they know about. Everybody's seen movies about John the Baptist with Charlton Heston wearing a sort of bearskin rug around himself. And they're always <laughs> these sort of mighty, mighty men, knee deep in warm, waist deep in water. And it, it, there's such an image of John the Baptist. It was marvelous to, 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 to recap, to, I felt really for the first time to go back and have a look at this figure as an individual figure, not as a sideman for the Jesus story, but uh, to see him as he was in his time. He, even in the Bible, uh, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus says, no greater man was ever born of woman than John the Baptist. My goodness, this is, this is something, an extraordinary statement. If you've got um, Jesus' five-star approval of somebody, and yet he's... He's become theologically ignored. He's just um, he's just part of the part of the you know he's, he's he's become a bit player when in fact he was a star. That's that's what came across through the book, and and the more I read, the further you investigated, and you used the the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you used, of course, Josephus, and you found historical evidence that that gave one the the a greater understanding of the man and and not just you know this this guy that was in the wilderness and that he dunked people in the water and then Jesus got baptized and took onto his whatever but it, it there's so much more to him than that and not only that but 
I don't want to I, I don't want to disrespect the Bible, but you brought out a fact that 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 I think everybody should be aware of that that each of the books of the Bible were never intended to be strung together in one book. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, so, um, yeah, it's a bit like saying if you took um, five leading daily newspapers and then um, glued them all together and said that was the daily paper. Well, people on the New York Times would not want to be associated with the Washington Post and or with the National Enquirer. So, it, and the, the, the Gospels are, are separate sources. They share things in common, as in fact of all newspapers. Uh, but no, they were, they were, each one was produced with, with a very separate kind of, uh, they wouldn't have been written if they hadn't have been, uh, people weren't wanting a particular kind of viewpoint. Um, so while we've tried to harmonize them, the, there's been a great price of historical veracity in trying to harmonize these different points of view. I mean, one of the amazing things, I'll give you just an example. The latest, the last gospel to appear, which is the one called the Gospel of John, which I argue was originally called John because uh, it, it contains John the Baptist's words. But uh, the Gospel of John refers constantly in Greek to hoi eudaioi, meaning the Jews. And there's constant statements about the Jews this and the Jews that. Now, considering all these stories happened in a, uh, a Jewish context, it's an extraordinary thing that the writer, by the, by the end of the first century, referred to the Jews as if they were a foreign people, whereas, in fact, the, uh -huh. the original events are entirely within the Jewish uh, orientation. So, you know, they all have a particular... That's just one of many, many, many differential details. And each one differs in its account of John the Baptist as well. And, and we get what we find in the gospel that I, I say that the gospels are a, a kind of palimpsest. I don't know if you know what a palimpsest is. It's an old manuscript on which is, you see a piece of writing, but in fact has been written over another piece of writing, which has been rubbed out because parchment was so expensive. So they used to rub out stuff and then write another thing over it. And the gospels are like a palimpsest. We have a writing about the history, but the real history is like underneath it but you have to search for it. And uh, when you search for it, you not only find meaning that you wouldn't have expected in the accepted story, but you, you, you also find that the story that's come down to us has been highly rewoven to suit uh, the, the messengers, uh, the, the evangelists, um, for whom history, as we understand it, had no real meaning. The only history they cared about was Jesus appeared, walked on water, and saved um, his followers. And that's all they're bothered about. They're not bothered about who the emperor was. You know, they don't get a look in. But if you were there at the time, that would have been a, the major thing was, what are the Romans doing this morning? That would have been the big question. And John the Baptist, much more than Jesus, is a real historical figure. I, do, I don't mean that Jesus didn't exist historically. I'm saying that the evidence for John the Baptist's political reality is actually very clear, whereas uh, the people were writing about Jesus after his death. People were considering John the Baptist in his lifetime as being politically significant, as Josephus, his account of John the Baptist, makes abundantly clear. He's, he's a very vivid historical personality, appearing at a very critical time in, in the history of uh, Judea. 
Well, and you you do go into, and this is what I love about what you've done here. You have really provided the historical um, evidence and and the times with with the person. So you've made him more real than than the Bible does, because the Bible just basically has him in there to baptize, and then you know then he gets his head cut off, and that's the end of John. But um, and I think what what is fascinating is that you have you have brought forth through the histor through the history, and and I, I'd like you to kind of go into a little bit about John because he he really I, I, there's no way that he was let's let, let me put it another way his they talk about him you know in the wilderness and and living on on locusts and honey and, and all of that. But the reality is he he was more more educated, he was more intelligent, he was he was not a crazy wild man. He rubbed elbows with royalty. And in order to be able to do that, you know, he, he couldn't have been this wild man. No, I think the, the, the again it's the old problem of image, isn't it? Uh the his image creators after his death have done a nice piece of work on him and created this figure with it. But all the accounts of his dress that occur in the New Testament are entirely lifted from the account of Elijah in the Old Testament. And this is a theological lift because um, they had to justify uh, what his role, the gospel writers had to justify what John's real role was in, in God's providential saving uh, uh, experience. And they came to the conclusion that he was the announcer of the Messiah. And the announcer of the Messiah was often thought to be Elijah. Elijah, who had gone, disappeared off the earth fully alive in a fiery chariot, according to the book, books of Kings. Um, he goes off in a fire and chariot, and, you know, for all we know, he's, he was still there. And it was believed that Elijah would come back. And when Elijah came back, either Elijah would basically be the Messiah, or he would announce the Messiah, or his coming back would be the sign that the God's chosen Messiah was about to come. So they took the dress of Elijah, uh, which it, right down to the details uh, of the, the furriness and all that, and the girdle, and uh, they they put that on John to make him like um, Elijah, and they even put John in places where Elijah famously operated. And we know that Elijah, of course, uh, if you remember right, is a, is a Baptist. He uses water as a spiritual symbol, the Jordan. Uh -huh. So um, the picture of him of, as this person who lived in the desert, I, I think, is really ridiculous uh, if you take it too far. The background to John, as far as we can tell, is that he was, uh, he was one of the poorer priesthood. Um, at that time in the temple in, in Jerusalem, there was a tremendous battle going on between different groups of priests. We get, a, we get a hint of this in the Gospels about disagreements between Sadducees and Pharisees, and the Sadducees tending to favor the Herodian dynasty, who were foreigners, and the Pharisees uh, more connected with the common people. And Jesus debates with all of them, as, as we have in the New Testament. But um, there was the, these priests actually had physical fights, according to Josephus. There were riots among them. 
because the richer priests uh, were wanted to keep the status quo, which was maintained by Roman army. And there were the poorer priests who wanted to live in a prophetic spiritual purity. And the, of those of that number, I think both Jesus and John were included. And I think they came from priestly families. Every, everything about Jesus' background suggests he was of, of a priestly family and probably a priest himself. And John, almost certainly a priest. I think the, his natural raiment would have been the white linen of, of, of the priesthood. Going into the wilderness for a period was, was just something people did at that time as a, as a ritual purification exercise. And the, the model for that was Judas Maccabeus, Judas, the Maccabean warrior who had purified himself in, in the 160s BC, uh, had gone out in the desert and lived on wild herbs, locusts, and, and all the things he could find. And that wilderness diet uh, was regarded as a sign of holiness. So if John wanted to, rep, uh, if he wanted to identify himself with the spiritual dreams of his people, he would have had to go into the wilderness, as of course the story has Jesus doing the same thing. Uh, where he's tempted, but also supported by by characters called angels in the in the gospels. But all this is quite quite reasonably historical. Um, but no, he's not he's not a bloke who comes out of a cave you know, one million years BC, and he's in no sense wild. The appeal he made to the people of of, of, of Judea was enormous. It apparently had a massive following. Herod uh, Antipas, who was ruling Galilee, was very much afraid of the power, uh, political and social intellectual power that, that John wielded. And uh, he was, even in the Gospels, he's, he's loath to put a, uh, a restraint or arrest John. And he only does so eventually, of course, because he's persuaded by his uh, horrible Herodias, you know, and you have the story of the, the maiden dancing uh, for the head of John the Baptist. Um, there's, of course, so much more to that story, which I go into in the book. Oh, yeah. uh, but he's a, he, John's a political figure. I think you'd compare him to, in English history, would be someone, someone like Thomas More. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen A Man for All Seasons, Henry VIII, Thomas More stands yeah. against Henry VIII, who wants to take control of the church, and says, no, no, uh, I'm with you so far, but this far, further than that, you will not go. And Henry reluctantly has him executed, but he knows he's executed a good man. And Josephus says this about the Jewish historian, Josephus, who was a Roman quiz, uh, a pro-Roman quizling. He'd switched sides from the rebellion to the Romans, to the house of the Flavian, the Flavian dynasty. And he lived in Rome. And he, 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 he also reckoned that, that John was one of the good men. Uh, and an exemplary uh, character. So we have a historical testimony. Well, I think one of the things you point out, too, is is during that time frame, and certainly, again, in England, that beheading was, was really something that was uh, reserved for nobility. So yes, that if, it was, uh, if, because it was quick. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, and, and so it having him beheaded... It isn't, of course, when it's done by amateurs in the Middle East today, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, no, but it it just it it seems that that just the way that he was killed, aside from the fact that her mother told her to request the head of John the Baptist, but but I mean when he was put in prison, he wasn't really put in prison. He was restricted no, I, I, to I a make palace. That clear. Yes, it, yeah. this is something that yeah he wasn't he wasn't chucked into jail. 
he was he was you would call it today house arrest, but it was like being house arrested in Buckingham Palace. He was he was sent to Machiris, which was Herod Antipas's summer castle, and uh, uh, it it may have had a a cellar, a dungeon of some sort, but. I think the, 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 all the implication is, is that he was simply that one about, you know, keep your enemies closer. Uh, John was a uh-huh. house guest of Herod, Herod Antipas. Uh, the problem was that uh, Herod Antipas was determined to divorce uh, his wife, Phasilis, who is not mentioned in the Bible, but she's certainly mentioned in Josephus. Phasilis was the daughter of the king of Nabatea, Aretas IV, just south of... Uh, of um, of Machiris. And John would then have been to Herod Antipas, uh, a potential ally of his enemy, Aretas IV, who is mentioned, by the way, in Paul's letters, um, because Aretas invaded uh, that part of the territory and uh, took the Decapolis, the Ten Towns. And when Paul uh, goes to the Ten Towns to proclaim, uh, to arrest the followers of Jesus, um, he's actually on Aretas's territory. Aretas had won the war. Uh, Herod Antipas lost it, even though Tiberius had said, and this is very interesting, Tiberius, the emperor, had said that uh, to Herod Antipas, I want Aretas's head. And that might be the origin of the head of John the Baptist story, because we don't know actually uh, exactly how he was executed. And you have the Bible story of the head, uh, but that might be a romance. Um, he was executed anyway by order of the king, so he was probably beheaded. Uh, but he's a, he's a political figure. And, and it's, it's very interesting. And even in the Gospels, you have the account that Herod Antipas is convinced when he hears about Jesus that, in fact, Jesus is John the Baptist returned. I mean, that gives ah. you an idea. Well, it appears also that John the Baptist had a larger following than Jesus did oh, in the very beginning. Well, Jesus nicks his following, doesn't he? <laughs> he takes it over. Yes. <laughs> uh, every, every, virtually everything Jesus has to preach in the Gospels is, is, has already been preached by John. And this gives you the idea either, I mean, there are several possibilities there exist in, in assessing the historical uh, weight of, of those um, narratives. Uh, John is the original. He's the one um, uh, with the message of repentance, uh, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, is John's message. Uh, Jesus takes it over verbatim in, in the Gospels. And it is also convenient, isn't it? It's rather convenient that John is executed, so Jesus takes over. There's uh, something very peculiar about this in a way. Um, now, certainly they- it's understated. Were they related, because I've read in a number of places that they were cousins or that they were related, and that in, well, in many ways they, you know, they worked in conjunction. Well, I think, uh, if you ask me my opinion, not what I know, but what I think might have been most likely, my money would probably be on the idea that, in fact, they were a, a concerted uh, effort of the of the poorer priesthood uh, against the ruling party, and that they were in some sense working together. But there are, um, I mean, there are indications of that. Obviously, you have this great chunk of Luke, and it all comes from Luke, who's sometimes called the Romantic Gospel. 
you have all this chunk of stuff about um, about John's father, Zechariah, and his mother, Elizabeth, and that they have a sort of country dasher out in the country, mm-hmm. and that Elizabeth knows Jesus' mother, um, which would suggest to me that they were they were priestly families who, who knew each other. Mary, or Marianne, I've identified in my book, the uh, lost family of Jesus, was a temple slave. Uh, she was a temple slave who, ma- who was married to an old priest, Joseph, uh, would have been the old priest, and they were allowed to take their wives uh, from from the temple slaves. So, th- the temple is the is the is the nexus. It's the it's the center point of, in which they would have met Yeshua Ben Yosef, uh, Bar Yosef, Bar Yosef, I should say, and uh, oh Ben, you know Ben, Ben Ben's fine, Ben Yosef, yeah, uh, and and John, uh, John, uh, God comforts is the meaning of his name. Um, they are priestly families. That's where they're coming from. And uh, I think they were working in, in some form of uh, communion. Um, John appears to have been the primary leader at this point. All this stuff about I am not fit to uh, undo the sandals, um, you know, all this is from Paul. Now, you've got when you look at John the Baptist, you have to realize that whatever the primitive message of Jesus and John might have been, Paul, uh, Saul originally, produced another version of it. And in his version of the original message, he fell out with Peter famously, we know, in the, according to uh-huh. the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> the, the letters of, of Paul are full of fulminations that his ministry is superior to, well, to anybody's. And Paul took the view that John's baptism was inadequate. Now, I address this in the book, um, this idea that he, he, you, you get it in, in, in John, I think, where Paul, um, John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Well, why? 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 Why should John decrease? Well, he wasn't there to, to, to argue with it by the time those words were written. In fact, it was Paul who said that John, he'd met followers of John. There were, he had a big following, not only in, in Judea, but also in uh, the wider empire. In Corinth, we hear of this character, Apollos, who was from Alexandria, presumably a Jewish intellectual from Alexandria, who'd heard John and had followers. And uh, Paul says, Ah, but you haven't got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and the followers of Apollos say, well, what's that? And he says, well, it's, it's, it's very superior to what John... And this is all... People take this on trust. But I would like to ask the question, if John's baptism was inadequate, which Paul plainly says it was and condemns anyone who doesn't agree with him, uh, if he, his baptism was inadequate, how is it that Jesus goes to John to be baptized. And even in Luke's account, uh, which is rather fanciful, and you have the dove of the Holy Spirit coming down at the moment of of Jesus' baptism, and the voice of the Father who says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, Even at that moment, uh, it is John's baptism, which is the, the, encourages the presence of the Holy Spirit. And 
I, I, I cannot help but think that uh, all the accounts of Jesus himself baptizing, which also exists in the Gospel of John, John and his disciples baptized. There are various contradictory yeah. statements about it. They were all doing this baptism thing. What was it baptism for? Baptism was a common rite for washing away one's sins and turning to God. In other words, reorienting, reorienting yourself to the demands of holiness because it was thought that only if you remain holy would you survive the coming uh, conflagration or day of the Lord, the Yom Yahweh, Yom Yahweh. And, and it is the coming day of the Lord that John preaches first, not Jesus, John does. It's his message. Repent is his message. Sell all you have and give it to the poor is John's message. John's message has all the social teaching that you find uh, which we call Christian. It's all there in John's message. So Jesus never deviates from it. He never says a word against it. Whatever Jesus' role, now I have a sneaking suspicion that this was a king-priest double act. And I mean by act, in the, don't take that too, too literally. Uh, there is the view, comes in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that the, there might be two messiahs, a priest and a king. And in which case... Uh, I would imagine that John would have played the priest and, and Jesus the king, and they'd have had a, a council of 12 around them. So I would have imagined that in the historical facts that the death of John was a total blow to, uh, as big a blow to Jesus, perhaps, as they say the murder of John Lennon was to the residual movement of the 1960s, uh, of the psychedelic uh, cosmic change uh, movement. Um, which still happily refuses to give up the ghost, but, the, but there's no, there's no doubt in my view that uh, that John was a kind of John Lennon of his time. What doesn't? It, in I fact, mean, actually, it was John Lennon who, who identified with John the Baptist famously. That's right. He used to write letters. He write, wrote letters to his dear friend Stuart Sutcliffe, and they they had this very high level sensibility that they would come somehow called into the world which would involve a certain amount of suffering and um i, I think religious people have this uh, very spiritually minded people have this sense of being called and the price of the call is as in the the prophecies of isaiah about the suffering servant to be called to divine service almost certainly means you're going to come into contact with the blindness that exists in the the ignorant uh, aspect of this planet then then literally Christianity as we know it today could not have existed unless John and Jesus were were dead and in order for that to happen it feels like and you do kind of hit at it that the Paul may well have been partially responsible for the death of both of them in order for him to become the head of a major religion that is that has you know um, survived to this day. Well, I, I don't want to. I don't speculate on on that kind of level. I look at the evidence, see what's going on, and and try to assess it with a certain humility that I may be missing something of greater importance, which may be perfectly apparent to anybody listening. Uh, that that's always the case. I, I may have missed something. I do think it is fair to say that without any 
shadow of a doubt that in a court of law, if you ask Paul to his face, would you go to John for salvation? He would say no. And that is clearly not the historical uh, situation. That is a position which favors Paul, who had the advantage that he was alive. Uh, also, everybody forgets this about Paul. They, you go to any number of churches and you'll hear the letters of Paul read as if they were written to be holy writ and they can never be touched. You know, they apparently had, you know, he didn't write them. Oh my God, he, he didn't write these letters. They all came from God and through his mouth in some uh, supernatural way. They were letters written for the moment. They've been, they've been tampered with over time a bit, uh, like all historical stuff. Uh, as it were. But anyway, the, the fact of the matter is, is, that, is that Paul thought that John didn't get it. What John didn't get, well, of course, he wasn't alive to get it, because what Paul is saying is that it was the crucifixion of Jesus, which was the absolute mystery that caused and is the cause of salvation. And John, as far as we know, uh, is not espousing that view. But of course, it could be that John kept that idea to himself. It's very interesting that nobody regards John's murder by the king of, uh, uh, of Galilee, Herod uh, Antipas, as a salvific event. And yet, in, the, in Josephus' writings, he says that when Antipas lost the war, against um uh, when he lost when he lost the war against uh aritas of nabatea it was because he had killed john the baptist that was the public belief that 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 um that john's death had affected history and that's very very interesting and that, but that isn't recorded in the in the in the gospels it, it it's it's very very interesting statement People had the belief that, that by killing John, that, that he, had, he had changed history. Now, Paul obviously believed that killing uh, Jesus changed history in a different way and, and so on. But um, it's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? You really would like to put Paul and John in the same room and, and listen to what they had to say to each other. Would Paul have said, you didn't get the true message, you had to go? <laughs> I, I don't, I, Paul was very argumentative, he argues with Peter, you know, on, on whose rock the Catholic Church is built. Uh, Paul tells Peter he doesn't know what he's talking about, he has no personal experience of Jesus appearing in his spirit. Uh, he boasts in 2 Corinthians that he's been raised to the third heaven and has seen things which ordinary people can't possibly understand. Um, you know, Paul makes, is, a, is, a, is the greatest spokesman for himself. And yet he will always say, but I am nothing. I would rather be of the dust, you know, I would rather be swept away. Uh, rather, you know, I will be as a fool to a man. I will be anything to a man. Yeah, and then he says, but of course, anyone who disagrees with me is accursed. This is, this. But, but it should, so I mean, Christianity, it, it, Christianity it, has been called Paulianity, hasn't it? Christianity has been called Paulianity. Uh, it, yeah. Because the, religion, the doctrine of Christianity is so evidently Pauline. The crucifixion is the main event. You get, you enter the mystery of being baptized in the blood of the Lamb. And this has nothing to do with the expectations of ordinary Jewish people. Uh, at the time, they weren't expecting to be baptized in the blood of the Lamb. They were expecting that God would come and put the world to rights in the same way that Jehovah's Witnesses do today. 
They just thought that, you know, God had had enough of sin and he'd, he'd, he'd sent the flood before and now he was going to send his son to create a, a, a paradise. Um, you know, it's, 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 we, we, Christianity is many, many stories and every, every how can I say, I mean, religion is a mess, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if you look at if you look at religion well, I, as a whole in the world, and and, and look at its its foundation documents and and so on, you do realise that it's it's been able to survive thanks to the ignorance of uh, of its followers largely, and the intelligence of its intelligence bracket who are very smart at uh, at uh, dealing with with dissenters like me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look at you Paul. Can always, to, you can always didn't, ignore them. You know. Didn't Paul go to the disciples and ask to be taught how to do all of the things that they were doing? Uh, I, I don't know of any account that he actually. He, he claims that he got nothing whatsoever from meeting James. Uh, James, that's Jesus's brother, who was the yeah. head of the church in the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, well, he, think, he says he got nothing at all. He didn't. He, he didn't need the disciples. His view of the disciples was they don't really get it. I mean, I think Paul is one of the great salesmen of all time. He takes he takes a Jewish esoteric movement uh, into the empire and turns it into a multinational enterprise. He is. He turned out that he was the rock on which the church was built. Poor old Peter hardly got a look at. Well, yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize in that there wasn't, it didn't, it, it wasn't just one Christian movement, it was many. And, and was it, was it, and, and eventually they became blended together to a certain extent. Um, I don't think a, they ever got blended, I don't, I don't think they ever got blended together, that was a forced, uh, forced, forced movement. Um, it's a bit like, I, in our own experience, perhaps, depending on how old our listeners are, um, it's a bit like the 60s. For a time, it looked like all the, all the different dissenting movements, uh, if you saw them in a group, it, were all of one mind and part of a common, uh, common front. But, but soon you, you, you find the differences. I mean, you, the yippies tried to bring left-wing politics into the hippie movement, Jerry Rubin, Abby, Abby Hoffman, that sort of thing, and 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 a lot of the hippies didn't really like this, you know, Marxist stuff, very theoretical, uh, very unpleasure oriented, and uh, you know the whole thing splits off. There was a moment, there was a moment when it could have crystallized, and but it never happened. Uh, and as you say, Christianity, the religion of the ancient world. Peppered off into various parts of the world and developed in very, very idiosyncratic ways. The, the Gnostic movement is uh-huh. remarkable, uh, remarkable insofar as it's uh, contrary to what its enemies predicted. It has survived and survives today, though uh, it's always had this flexibility. Whereas we see uh, the Catholic religion. Uh, is nowadays its largest number of adherents tend to, tend to be people uh, who do not feel confident to think or criticise the the foundation of the religion. In other words, it's a it's a it's an act of devotion. Uh, it's a devotional. It's become a devotional religion, not a, not really a thinking one. I'm not saying there's no thinking. That would be insulting to perfectly 
perfectly clever uh, Catholic priest. But his greatest appeal is to the person seeking uh, a magical devotional uh, feeling and a sense of belonging. Um, mm-hmm. Now, whether, whether that was what Jesus was preaching in, in actual fact is very different. But, I, uh, you know, it, 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 yeah, go on. Are there are there still groups of people that that really um, revere um, John. John the Baptist? And, yes. You know, yes. There, yes. you know, yes. the the Masons yeah, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, Saint yeah, John's yeah. men. Is, is there well, I, still? I, I, is there? Yes. No. Is uh, there I, still? I, I, um, I, I delineate in the book there are three three main groups today uh, for whom John the Baptist is still a significant figure. By far the most important are the Mandeans. Uh, the Mandeans from the word Manda, which means knowledge, um, used to be called John Christians by Catholic uh, missionaries to, to <laughs> ridiculous idea really, Catholic missionaries to the Middle East, to what is now Iraq. Um, the Mandeans have been practicing uh, a religion of baptism in the Tigris and Euphrates in Iraq since we must presume that at least the first century, they claim John as a major figure in their history. They call him the man of light. They say he could not be burned. And they have a book associated with, uh, named after him in which John reveals as a mystical revelation to the Mandeans. Mandeans, I think, are the most authentic um, group other than i suppose mainstream judaism from the first century uh, but rabbinic judaism of today is a development after after uh, the events we're describing which are the first half of the first century i think the mandians deserve the most profound respect and study and uh, they 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 practice the baptism and they were persecuted they've been persecuted mercilessly since um since Saddam Hussein's uh, removal. Uh, one of the consequences of the Iraq war was to expose the Mandians to the predations of extreme Islamic fanatics who have lost no opportunity in attacking the Mandians. And the largest number of them are now spread around the world in where they can, if they can find somewhere to practice their baptismal rites. They have their own literature, their own liturgy, their own philosophy, and I, urge anybody who wants to have a sense if they want to get in touch with an authentic uh, spiritual tradition to to find out about the Mandeans um, why 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 people don't know more about them I can only put it down to the ignorance of our broadcasters and so forth who seem to think that uh, they don't need to know these sorts of things but the Mandeans are very important Freemasonry, interestingly, has a very strong place for John the Baptist. The 24th of June, which is the John the Baptist Day, as I go, in, go into in the book, why, was the great feast of, of Freemasons. And I think I go into various reasons why that is. He's the Lord of the summer. He's become associated with, with the harvest and uh, fertility, which is also very interesting. Um, and the other group, of course, were the Knights Templar who, uh, and, and the Knights Hospitaller as well. Medieval knightly orders had great respect for John, and um, it's very interesting as to why. 
uh, if we can, we would like to know more about what John seems to represent a, a special place within the Christian tradition, rather like Mary Magdalene, that you can, if you find the sort of top-heavy doctrine a bit harsh, you can sort of take comfort on these sort of, uh, these other little ports. There's one called Mary Magdalene, who we know very little about, but that gives us an opportunity to speculate and find another alternative spiritual path. And I think John also has that power. Uh, the idea also of the, in the Middle Ages, the idea of the severed head as containing the life of the person was also a, a strong superstition. Um, the head was associated with the, the, the spirit of the man. So the fact that these head, you know, you have these relics around European cathedrals all claiming to be John the Baptist's head. And, there's, and there was one in Aleppo uh, the main, the, mo the, the strongest claimant for John the Baptist's head actually was, has been pretty well destroyed in the war in Syria in the last few years. We do seem to be destroying our religious artifacts with an incredible rate, with the confidence of the idiocy of, of our times. But um, yes, yeah, so John the Baptist has a following. And anyway, I would say that anybody who, who follows the Christian so-called social gospel of that it is right to think well of your neighbor and uh, shield the weak from oppression is following John's gospel. Well, I think one of the things that, that fascinated me that you pointed out that he couldn't have been the wild man in the desert and be John the Baptist because there's no water in the desert. So Exactly. Absolutely right. You know. Uh, it's one of the jokes is the, the, the desert, but uh, yes, the essence of the desert is there is no uh, access to water, uh, except in rare places. And he didn't he didn't baptize at Oasis. He was baptizing on, in the Jordan, um, but he, he lived outside the city. And I think the word wilderness practically, in, in, it's only a very small country in Judea anyway, uh, but the, the wilderness is, practically, is basically somewhere that doesn't have a public road. And, uh, and 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 large towns. That's really what wilderness means. Well, could the it wilderness also be? Jaunt. It's a symbol. Could it all... Yeah, I was going to say. Yes. Is, yeah. The voice crying in the, the wilderness is a spiritual symbol. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize that there is so much more symbolism in the Bible than people actually understand. And and yeah. and it, it's it's and one has to wonder is that symbolism there because it was actually there or was it put in as the Bible was being composed to give a different message symbolically to the literal message they were being handed. I, I personally would take the view that it is. It is our good fortune and, and, and an act of providence that, uh, that the symbolic value of so many of the stories carries the spiritual message for those who uh, look beneath the surface. Those who are interested in a superficial uh, materialist viewpoint on everything, of course, will never see the wood for the trees. You know, they can't get the sap. They're obsessed with, and uh, you know, I found the. the so much theological discourse has, has been perpetrated by people who, who cannot see 
painting, the, the, the beauty of these symbols. The voice crying in the wilderness is, is a classic one, really, because it's, it's really about the creation of the world. It's the, wor the word made flesh. This, this spiritual link with God only becomes real to us when there is nothing else. You have to go into a place of absence to find the presence of God. Exactly. Now, you you made another really good point in the book, and you know the the three for the for the um, resurrection for for the transfiguration, the the three days. Um, you know, you went into a great deal about the symbolic use of the three days, and it wasn't necessarily three days that he rose and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I was, I'm really, yeah, that's a very, very, you, I'm afraid that's one of those things that you need to meditate on and follow in the book and think about. I, this is a book that I wrote, but I go back to it to understand it myself. I have to reacquaint myself because in the writing of it, I was uh, taken to uh, certain, certain insights that are not easily held in your memory as if they were little facts. Their, their, their levels of perception. And the book has these, but you, you, you've really got to read the book to understand why I re, uh, reinterpreted the story of the resurrection. But it's much easier to talk about the other things in the book where, for example, I finally come up with a historical date for the crucifixion of 37 AD, to, uh, seven years after the generally, the generally accepted, mindlessly accepted 30 AD uh, or 33. Um, all the history points to, to uh, a crucifixion of 37 AD and that John uh, didn't, wasn't dead until 36. Now, if he wasn't dead until 36, then the crucifixion couldn't have happened in 30 to 33 AD. Uh, the sighting the of his death is very plainly put by Josephus as it takes place um, uh, in the context of the war with Aritas IV over his daughter Phasilis, who is being divorced so that uh, Herod Antipas can marry Herodias. Um, and uh, he wants to reclaim Herodias' hus late husband's territory, uh, uh, Philip's tetrarchy. Um, and by marrying Herodias, he would, he would, he would improve, his, improve his kingdom. And this is what brings about war, and it is the war which is the, the cause of the death of John the Baptist, not um, this story about the, the nymph who dances. It was the war that was the problem. War isn't even mentioned in the New Testament. So that's just the price you pay for putting doctrine before facts. You know, the, the actual setting of, of these events in the New Testament, you'd think they were happening... If you watch all the movies, Greatest Story Ever Told, Max von Sydow, these people walking around Judea as if they were walking around the, wild, uh, the West, you know, Utah or something on a, on a bright day. There's, there's no tension. You see the odd Roman soldier, but you, you don't think in terms of war preparedness and, and, and violence and, and, and rapaciousness and, and the enormous social and, uh, social and religious instability. You, you, you barely get an insight into that. I think those lovely words attributed to Jesus about, you know, look at the lilies of the field, you know, was Solomon in all his glory arrayed as one of these, has given the kind of Sunday school view that the Holy Land was 
sort of picturesque, whereas in fact it was a combination of a military training place, uh, uh, great violence, and and also a massive building site, cause huge amount of building going on. Uh, there were masons all over the place, and uh, because because the influence of, of Rome, you, you got with Rome came the builders. And well, I think Rome I think. Was- the, when yeah. when Rome conquered any particular area, they were really pretty good about allowing the people to continue the, <clears throat> their religious observances. Well, I mean, they, they continue they, under yes, yes, but in the case of the Jews, the 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 high priest's robes were kept under lock and key in the Tower of Antonia, which literally overlooked the temple. Can you imagine what a what a, what a, a thing that was if you were a priest of the old school in the temple and. This temple, by the way, had been built by somebody who wasn't even a Jew. Uh, Herod uh, was an Idumean uh, prince who'd, who'd made friends with Mark Antony, and by, by making friends with Mark Antony, had got hold of uh, got hold of Judea and had married into the Maccabean Jewish uh, aristocracy, and then murdered all the Jewish aristocrats he could get hold of. Jesus, in my view, uh, was, was certainly a, 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 of the aristocracy, the old aristocracy of Judea. Herod. The, the, the story of the massacre of the innocents we, we hear at Christmas, I think, is is pretty historical. If it's if it's not directly historical, I think it gives a it gives an image of just how vicious uh, Herod the old bastard was uh, when he took control, thanks to Roman power. And what kept him in power were the Romans. What kept his sons Aris, uh, Aristobulus, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa, what kept them? in power was the Romans. The, the, Judea was a Roman thing. Um, they, were, they, were, they had a Circus Maximus, uh, you know, chariot races in, in Judea, uh, naked men doing athletics. I mean, the, the old Jews were absolutely horrified by this, this pagan stuff going on and these big buildings and eagles being erected by the temple. I mean, there were regular riots. You know, it was really... Uh, extraordinary situation and, and in that in the context as you see in the book the crucifixion of Jesus was almost a done thing as if Jesus and how many others Paul himself murdered as many followers of Yeshua ben Yosef as he could and he's proud of it you know he he says I did I as far as he was concerned he was doing the Lord's work he goes all the way to the capitalist with God knows what right because he, he it wasn't uh, under Roman rule, it was under Aretas's rule, and to, to bring out the followers of this this heretic. You know, it's an extraordinary story, the whole thing. So by de- getting the right date for Jesus' crucifixion, which is 37 AD, when we have, we know that Herod Antipas is in Jerusalem because he's supporting Vitellius, the Roman general, uh, the legate of Syria, who's come down to fight a war with Aretas. They're marching through the holy territory of Judea. He calls in at Jerusalem and makes concessions to the Jewish um, uh, hierarchy, uh, priestly hierarchy, and says, if you behave yourselves, I'll let you have the priest's robes out the Tower of Antonia. Now, I think this is the the setting for all the stuff about, you know, uh, we want Barabbas and all that, where you have Pontius Pilate watching uh, a debate about whether he should execute Jesus or, or perhaps somebody else. I think the, the real setting is Vitellius' is march south. Vitellius called in at Jerusalem for three days, uh, as, as Josephus informs us, 
and uh, this is the setting. And that, that would have been the time when people said to uh, Pilate or to Vitellius, we want no other king but Caesar. Now, why would they say this? Well, the reason was, was the emperor Tiberius had just been, well, died, they said, but he'd been murdered, of course, by Macro, the head of the Praetorian Guard. That news had just reached the Middle East. This was catastrophic news. The emperor is dead. Now, a pilot had already been condemned for being heavy-handed, dealing with insurrection. And he was supposed to go to Tiberius, which probably meant a very miserable experience. But when the emperor died, his, his, his will ceases to operate. And until Caligula was in place, who was his successor, Gaius Caligula, little boots, uh, the position of Pilate is, is ambiguous. He's not sure whether he's going to be reappointed prefect over Judea. And therefore, he can't make a, he's in an awkward position trying to decide whether Jesus should suffer the same fate as John the Baptist the year before. And by the way, he wasn't called John the Baptist. That's our word. He was just known as John, and was regarded as the prophet of the time, the prophet. And uh, uh, Pilate has to make a decision. And I think it's because Vitellius, the Roman legate from Syria, is watching with his armor, army. Herod Antipas is down there, very peculiarly in the gospel stories. Why is Herod Antipas doing in Judea? He's the governor of Galilee. Judea is run by the Romans uh, directly through Pilate. Galilee is run by Herod Antipas. Why has he got armed men in Jerusalem? Well, if you read Josephus, it's absolutely plain. He joins Vitellius, and they're about to go down south to fight a war in Nabatea to revenge, to avenge the, uh, the invasion of the Decapolis by Aretas IV. And, of course, it all comes to a standstill because Tiberius is killed. And in the confusion of that moment, I believe you have the, the, the absolute cookie, the recipe for the crucifying of Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, I, it makes I utter wanna, sense in context. Yeah, I, I want to I go to the crucifixion for just a second because you, you mentioned something in the book that I thought was fabulous. Well, I thought it was interesting. Fabulous, maybe not. Well, maybe I'll, very I'll interesting. Okay. All right. Um, I sat there with my mouth hanging open a little bit. You mentioned that the, the freeing of um, someone who was um, um, condemned to die on the eve of, of some holiday or whatever it was didn't exist. And you that's instead right. of... That's right. The Barabbas story. It, is, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell the Barabbas story because that's a, that's a good one. No, no, you, you tell me what you remember of it, because it's probably more than I do. I, I, I don't remember every detail. Well, well, the only, the only thing that I really remember is that Barabbas is, is really probably not that what they were calling. They were calling for justice, and that word... A referee, yeah. I think that, that, yeah, there was a Greek word, um, which sounds like Barabbas, um, and it, it was a cry for a referee, a referee's judgment. And I, yeah. I, I suspect the trial of Jesus had become a kind of like a game, a football game, popular mob thing. And, they, and they're, what they're really asking for is make a decision, make a decision, make a decision. I think that's what that's, that's, they were actually tempting uh, Pilate to make a decision. I don't think Pilate at that time was very worried about his reputation. He'd been condemned by the Senate of the Samaritans for having uh, um, massacred with great cruelty 
a public demonstration at Tirathaba uh, on the Samaria-Judea border. Um, and he'd murdered a load of people, and he said, kill, kill all strong men, and so on. And, and these people were followers, possibly of Simon Magus, who had said that the, the Moses had left uh, remnants of the, of the of temple um, garments at Mount Gerizim, which is the holy mountain in Samaria. See, there's all this history going on. It's all real history. It's all real stuff. You won't find it in the Gospels. Anyway, Pilate's in deep shit. And, uh, sorry, mine, my French. He's, he's in a lot of trouble. And uh, he doesn't know whether he's going to survive. And therefore, he doesn't want to make a decision, I think, about executing um, prophets. Because he knows that a prophet, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, um, it'd be like if the Americans had arrested the Ayatollah and carried him back to uh, wherever and, and put him on trial. You would have had, the trial wouldn't have been worth the effort. The amount of stuff that would have gone with it would not have been worth that kind of effort. Yeah? You, you try to avoid that sort of thing. For example, when they, Saddam Hussein was captured by the Americans, but he's tried by the Iraqis. So the Americans wash their hands, exactly like Pilate washes his hands of Jesus' crucifixion. We, we arrest him, we know you're going to kill him, but it's not our fault. And the Jewish people at the time are saying, well, it's not really ours either, so we'll leave it to, well, you know. And so the whole thing is a great political fudge. And in, the, in that fudge, uh, Jesus is caught. Now, he hasn't had much of a ministry, as the uh, Christian, um, Christian story has it. He's... He's only had about a year, if that, to sort of make a mark, but uh, you can do a lot in a year in, in a politically volatile situation. The, the thing about the resurrection is terribly important. I, I do think the, that to try and understand why the account of the resurrection is the way it is and that it is a symbolic story based on the great prophecies of, of, of what we some reason called the Old Testament, but for Jesus was the Testament. That was the Testament on which he based his life. He does nothing. Jesus never does a thing which isn't backed up by, by text in, in, in the Jewish scripture. And uh, it's Paul has the problem of trying to justify new religions, the Romans, because the Jews were hated for having rebelled against Rome. They were suspected and by 138 AD, of course, well after Paul's time, they're, they're kicked out of Jerusalem altogether, the great diaspora. So uh, Christianity has to be founded upon a principle that it's different to the Jews. It's not Jewish even. So you get references to the Jews that I mentioned much earlier. And Jesus becomes much more of a superhuman um, ideal figure, a spiritual uh, a spiritual symbol than a political or historical figure which is the real context I think. The, the church couldn't possibly preach to the Roman and the Greek world um, that these people came from a liberation movement of their own country and it wasn't acceptable. But such is the power of the symbolism inherent in the accounts and such is the spiritual power and people's need of it that Christianity will survive with all its stories and narratives, I suspect, perfectly intact. And uh, we, people like you and I will be debating these things forever after, and I expect that most <laughs> of the priests will be 
most of the priests be safe in their pews with declining congregations. Whether, whether we are in a position now in the third millennium since these times to, to create something new is, is an interesting question. Well, don't you find it interesting that um, John the Baptist's death was um, more one, um, there was respect, there was the beheading, that was something that you did for nobility. And yet Jesus' death of crucifixion was more common, so that in many ways, John the Baptist appears to have had more respect than Jesus did. Well, I, certainly on the, the basis of, of, yes, to be crucified was to be regarded as a sedition, as, as it was a terrible death. In, yeah. I mean, in every sense. It was a punishment for insurrectionists. And I can't help wondering about that, is the, as you have wondered. Um, that story that Pilate had orders that uh, above the cross, king of the Jews, um, an exemplary punishment. In other words, uh, this is what Rome, or this is what the power of our times thinks of your king. You know, that's, it's such a, it's the most profound insult you could imagine. And, um, you can well, only imagine, therefore, that in order to do it, Jesus must have had extraordinary enemies in the Sadducean party, in the, in the Herodian dynasty, uh, like Paul, perhaps. Well, Paul claims he was one of the enemies, and therefore I yeah. suspect strongly he, he was personally involved in the crucifixion. Uh, it would explain this, uh, his peculiar obsession with it. He may well have been involved. If he, he's been identified as a relative of the Herodian dynasty, but this is on a name basis. Saulus is a relative of, of the Herodians. But it would make sense also because he's a Roman citizen, which he makes so much of, doesn't he? Saul of Tarsus, yeah. Paulus, Paulus the, the Roman's friend, who advocates that uh, Jews should pay their taxes and uh, that the Romans have been put there by God to, to keep order and it's all well with God that the Romans exist. To, for, for a Jew to actually believe that at the time, when they were being, their, their brethren were being crucified, bullied, thrown out their houses, highly taxed, and in every way subdued by, unless you 100% towed the line, uh, is an extraordinary thing. Paul never writes as a Jew. He claims that he's, he's, he's of one of the tribes, um, Benjamin, I think, he says, but uh, through, through what uh, parentage, one, one, one wonders, uh, because he seems to utterly, utterly hate the Jewish popular movements of his time. I utterly hate them. Now, from our distance, that doesn't look too bad. He seems like maybe he was the sensible one. You know, he, he saw <laughs> what the zealots didn't. I can see that. Well, you know, he wasn't a zealot. He, Josephus wasn't a zealot. He was, yeah, sorry. Didn't, didn't Paul really aim more towards the Gentiles than the Jews to convert well, them? That, to alone, that alone is the most extraordinary thing for somebody who claims to be, you know, uh, fully cognizant of the, um, 
of the Jewish tradition. And it, it's the kind of thing I think a Herodian would say. I mean, he does come over as, as one of these sem- part, partly Judaized uh, uh, Herodians who's very interested in religion, but he's very, very interested in, in the opportunities that the Roman Empire is bringing. And uh, Paul dies in Rome, but everyone thinks as a martyr. Uh, but if you remember the story, he, he, he's going to be let off by the, the governor. Uh, I forget, where was it? Caesarea? Um, Festus, the Roman governor? I forget. I, it's gone from my mind. But he, he, he demands to be tried in Rome. This is what he demands. He says it's his right as a citizen. He doesn't want to be let off with suspicion. He wants to be tried. So he wants to go to Rome. He wants to make his statement in Rome. And we don't really know what happened to him after that. We don't even know if he, he was executed. The, the legend is that he was a martyr. Uh, but we really don't know. He might have been settled somewhere in France, as, as Herod uh, Agrippa was later. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You know, we, do, we don't know. We don't know. I, I mean, I think Paul's one of the most extraordinary individuals in history. I do. I think he's incredible. You, you can't help but admire him from all you've read. But you have always this question. Did he, you know, what was his real motive? What was he, you know, he produces a universal religion. He produces something you can sell to the yep. slaves. Uh, and this was the that's, thing. And, yeah, know, this again was quite... Really, that's what gets yeah. to me. I mean, he, it, it's his view his theory, his he he created it, and 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 yet, without him, would would this would the well, philosophy and story? Yeah. Well, I suppose without yeah. him, um, probably Jesus might still be uh, might have been accepted as part of the Jewish history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and he might he might have. You might have had um, a Jesus party within rabbinic Judaism, for all, for all I know. But but the, but the trouble was that that by going over to Rome, you, he tainted Jesus with the the view that Jesus actually didn't like the Jews very much. You know, the Jews had had their chance, and they crucified the Lord of Glory, as the the old Catholic accusation went, that explains yeah. the anti-Semitism. Well, you know, you wouldn't have had the Holocaust without without Paul. You know, the the influence of Paul is enormous. Uh, the universal um, suspicion of Jews in medieval Europe, which spreads right through Russia, Central Europe, mainstream Europe, Catholic Europe, Orthodox Europe. Uh, this this hatred of Jews because of the alleged cause of the crucifixion. I mean, this all comes from Paul. Absolutely. He, he, he's, he's, you, you, you could imagine somebody saying, well, you're a Jew hater, really, aren't you? you know. Nowadays, he would definitely wouldn't be allowed on the Internet <laughs> because <laughs> he would, they, would, they would say he was, um, he was a you know, Jew hater, basically. You know, he's, the, he's purity, the, the purity of what Jesus and John the Baptist taught was far more gentle than what Paul has evolved it into. 
I don't know how it's it's hard on this gentle thing. Um, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> I was brought up on, and I still say it sometimes when I'm feeling particularly isolated. The old childhood prayers. Uh, it's like holding on to a teddy bear, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I do think there is a great spiritual. Uh, treasury of love within the teachings of the Jewish prophets um, and I think it comes out in, in it obviously comes out in the parables of the stories that Jesus is supposed to have told and there is this great sympathy with truthful ordinary people doing things because they're right and caring and the widows might there's lovely stories you know she gave her last penny you know to, to charity and all all these things um the good samaritan beautiful beautiful this i, I would i mean the, the heart of the, the heart of the religion is there in these stories whether they were john's stories jesus stories should it really matter it matters what these things mean to us uh, it, it's absolutely vital that we have access to the kingdom of heaven, that we go into ourselves and beyond our ordinary selves into an awareness of God. This is the most vital thing for a human being to mature, develop, and be able to survive the horrors of life. And this is of enormous importance. And I, I always am suspicious that people could be using my work, you know, to, to denigrate true, true spiritual religion. I only write my things to clarify areas where there has been great debate and much confusion uh, to, and to clarify areas of history and, and so on. Um, but I think, you know, I remember my mother used to say, I said, Mum, what do you believe? You know, she said, well, I, I believe in the religion of love or words to that effect, I think she said. Uh, and I said, yes, love is love is what it's about but you've got to love the truth as well and that doesn't mean claiming you've got it it means loving to hear it rather than maybe always have to think you speak it uh, uh -huh. we tend to distort we tend in our lives to distort the truth so but you must love truth and you must uh, you know love your your neighbor as yourself these are eternal verities of human spiritual survival if we forget them, uh, we don't survive spiritually. Now, the Christianity, as it's come to us, has all these incredible symbols. I mean, it's a hodgepodge of myth and magic and a bit of history and uh, a hell of a lot of meaning. Um, <laughs> but it, it has a stained history, Christianity. It has a stained history, I would say, the same about all the religions, of a, a, a history of activity totally at variance with these sensitivities of the great, uh, we call them mystics, uh, masters, mistresses of the faith. But, I mean, I look forward to the day when we can truly say, you know, mankind began with one faith and we will be a people of faith and also of spiritual knowledge that's what I that's what I work for. That's what I do all this for. I act, I believe that this was the same for John and Jesus, and any anything which which makes us escape from too many 
assumptions about religion that makes religion ordinary rather than strange and interesting. Uh, I want to I resist. I think one of the terrible things about religion as an organization, whether whatever, whoever's Baptist, Methodist, Anglican, Catholic, whatever it is, is that they tend to, they've tended to present the faith as if they know it all, and there's an answer for everything, and uh, all this sort of stuff. And you just go along with it, you know, it becomes a kind of tidal wave, well, what's the point of questioning you? I, I think this makes a lot of people leave it. They, they want to get out of the way of the tidal wave. They don't want to be washed in the blood of the land. They want to think about things. So I think the kind of work I'm doing is to help people do that. And because I believe there are people who want to and need to. Well, I think what you've done with, with this book especially is that you've made um, both John and Jesus more real than than the Bible does. Um, you've given us the time frame that they grew in, the political atmosphere they had to survive, and you've made their message more real. And and I, I love the you, you went into a great deal of of. Um, of explaining that, you know, John baptized with water and yet Paul baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and um, it, it, it made for me a, a greater empathy for, for the people that were involved, not, not the divinity, but the people and the message they were trying to get across and, and how they, they were, um, Sidetracked, manipulated, and then used. Yes, yes, that's and isn't that happening today in our own world? Just the same. We still have the Herod Antipasses. We've still got the Herodian dynasty. We've still got the priesthood. We've still got the battles between priests. We've still got the people who want to be baptized. We've still, we've still, we've got the whole picture. You, the, it, it, in a, in a strange way, that even when you get to the history, which I delineate in the book even when you get to that you see a, a mirror of our own insane times the only difference is then they didn't have the magnificate the ridiculous magnification of our media which magnifies everything beyond its true size you remember those old films in the 50s when the, the invasion of the giant spiders and all they do is film a spider and project you know optically connect it with a picture of people and you have your giant spider well that's what the media does it simply magnifies a normal thing till it becomes overpowering. And we, we, we get this every day now. And the, 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 what they did have, they didn't have the media and that they had stories. And the natural tendency of any story, as everyone knows, the more you tell the story, the fish gets bigger, you know, the man gets taller, the enemy gets greater. And what started out as an, a cool breeze becomes a storm. And this is a, is, a, is a tendency of human beings because we, 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 are, we are locked in this material mentality. We think if there's more of something, it's more important. And I think the great thing about spiritual teaching is, is very much the less is more. Go into the wilderness, you know, and that could be a wilderness uh, in your own room. Uh, and you be quiet, be silent, uh, devoid. 
cut down the magnification, cut down the volume. Uh, you don't need amplification. The st still small voice of calm, as uh, Elijah is acquainted with. So um, we have the same challenge today to listen to the voice crying in the wilderness as they did in the first century. Th this story of Jesus and John and all these amazing people simply repeats itself through history. It's not going to say, oh, it's the fulfillment of prophecy. This, this prophecy is a daily fact. Every, everything that's ever happened happens every day. Earthquakes, wind, fire, war, rumors of wars. It's always been going on. This is, we're talk, this is what life is like. This is, this is the mess. And, and what true spiritual religion asks us to do is to look into that daily reality and say, yes, and where's God in this? Where am I in this? Where do we go? Where are we from? Who are we? Where are we going? And then, you, then if you're serious about this, you will start to see a path. And that, that path is the royal path. And nobody can, uh, can tell you what it is. You must find it for yourself. Exactly. I, I, you know, in, in a way, you kind of would like to be able to sit down with Jesus and John. And you you say, are doing. You, you, can, no, you can, I tell you, you can do that. That's exactly well, I, what you can do. Do you think I couldn't have written this book if I hadn't been entertained by the sense of presence that these people are eternal? You know, that well, it, it's not just Jesus. Who, Jesus isn't the only one on the right hand of the Father. <laughs> you could be on the right hand of the Father. Well, hopefully. It's, it's that, um, you know, well, you say, the message, do you mean the, it? Yeah, that the message is so simple that most people miss it. Well, and, exactly. And, and, that's, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that, that, that this is a cycle, that this is something that humanity has gone through time after time after time, through generations. And yeah, yeah, we're still, we're still crucifying the Messiah and, and worshipping uh, you know, the, the, the Moloch, the, the false god. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at look what's going on today. I mean, you know, as long as the dollar's strong, we're, we, I mean, people talk about the dollar in the, exactly the same way the Philistines referred to Dagon, you know, their great god. You know, that if Dagon fell, it'd be, it'd be all over. And this this amazing thing in the Jewish experience, why we still uh, cannot avoid, in my opinion, the Bible, is that the Jewish experience is all of this nonsense about who you are, what you are, what the powers of the world appear to be, how to get security in this life, and all the stuff that they're selling every day, insurance, 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 all these insurances are void, ultimately void. They are not what it's really about. And this is not a welcome message. I mean, you know, the only thing I can, uh, that ought to be welcome people is there is a way through this. That ought to be the welcome message. But in fact, true religion has always scared a large number of people off and, and always will. So it's not like you could ever have channel truth and truth would be spoken and the world would say, oh, yeah, I love it. I want to be part of that. Oh, yeah. Well, they might think it for 10, minute, 10 minutes of enthusiasm, and they'll see what, how also then the effects of it in, in what they cling to. It's like the rich man who came to Jesus and said, you know, I think you're fantastic, Jesus. You've got everything going. I want to be part of it. And Jesus said, okay, I hear what you say. I'm really happy to have you. 
Now, just go and sell all your stuff and give all the money to the poor and come back. And, of course, he never sees them again. I mean, that's, yeah. now, is, that, is that story not played out every day of every year? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but I think John's, you know, it, John's had a bad press. That's the, that's the nub of the book. John's had a ridiculously poor press. And people haven't taken seriously what Jesus himself said, no greater man was ever born of woman. And that ought to, you know, there should be, I want to see John the Baptist, the TV series, the movie, and tell it like it is, you know, and do something instead of the uh, usual tribe. <laughs> well, I, I think you've got a great point because just knowing the truth about I'll him. even write it for you. <laughs> very happy, well, very to, happy to write the script. You've got a great beginning here because um, all you have to do is sit down with a book, and mm. you know, I, I, you know, I, I had, I have, you know, I, I had. I've got to tell you, Barbara. I've, I've got to tell you, Barbara. It's absolutely true. I don't understand everything that came through that book. I, I've now read it. It's one I love reading, not because I like reading Tobias Jordan. I don't think of it like that. This is something that was written by me, yes. But a lot of it was on, a, on another level. And I keep coming back to this book. That one, possibly more than any other. There are a couple I've written that I think, oh, whoa, Toby, why, <laughs> what were you when you wrote this? You know, how did you do it? And uh, I just thank the Lord. You know. It really, it was, it was, and I'm not saying, you know, it's not highfalutin. You've read the book. It's, it's factual. But there was, oh, some, there was something definitely moving. Well, what I what I was fascinated with, you know, I I knew about Josephus, um, and and the Dead Sea Scrolls, but you found other texts that that you know added greater meat to the entire story. I mean, you're historically documenting um, something that is the greatest story ever told, and and it's and what what it comes down to. Is it wasn't a story, <laughs> and <Exactly>. and <laughs> so so that so that in spite of what Paul has done, and and you know the you know the putting together of texts that were never meant to be together to create a dialogue or a, or a or a picture of of a way of life supposedly. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess the Bible had to be done. I mean, Constantine said, I want a Bible, and they made a Bible for him. But um, it, it was what Helena and Constantine and Eusebius and I don't know who else that put together the the dialogue that created the story that is the best-selling book in the world. Yeah, you know, I mean, something came through. Something came through, but I, 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 I can never forget when I hear about that. I can never forget. I mean, obviously, the Bible is a providential creation in, in some respects, but I never forget that it's also used and has been used to condemn good people to the flames. And yeah. that it has been used as a means to control other people. Uh, in other words, it hasn't led... It has been used rather than its purpose, which is to lead one to God. It has it has been abused. It's a it is a, the most abused work, isn't it? It really is. I mean, 
I often think that if you know a truth, maybe we shouldn't even talk about it. Uh, we, we, we're not supposed to put our light under a bushel, but as, as a good fellow once said, it might be a good idea to put it under a strong lampshade. <laughs> uh, because when you let out to the common mind and, and, also, and, and, the, and the malefic mind, and the mind of the perverted type, power-crazy, egotistical, narcissistic, you you let this stuff into those hands, and you you create you create the inverse monster out of it, uh-huh. and uh, the horror of human history shows us all too. It would be better if these books were had been you know were, were very rarely seen. I think in some ways, but that's against the whole Protestant thing, which was that that if you made the Bible public, you would have a you'd have paradise in a few generations. You know that. The Bible Society has spread the Bible into umpteen languages and all the rest of that. I, the price of that was to make Bibles too common, and yet, and then I think of the night I was I was at sea once on a liner crossing the Atlantic, and it got rough, and I was feeling rather uneasy at two o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, and there was a one of those Gideon Bibles in the drawer, and I drew it out of the drawer and I opened it, and the first line I read was, for I am the Lord of the waves. Uh-huh. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, thank God for the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that I changed my that. life, I can tell you. That, that moment, I, from, from then on, the voyage to me was a, was, was a dream. It was a delight. Because it unblocked my fear. Just oh, that yeah. time. And well, it was I, a fear that wanted unblocking. It wants that fear wanted unblocking. And we're all stuffed, especially today with these terrible things happening. We're all stuffed with these fears. And they do need unblocking. And I think people like John can do that. I think they he was a a fear unblocker. I would tend to agree. I I think there's far greater wisdom in his teachings and, and what he spoke about than, than he's been given credit for us, and especially since Jesus took up the, the message and message, then helped yes. to put Well, I, I think they both, I, you know, I get a feeling sometimes that the two of them sat over a beer someplace and said, okay, this is what we want to make sure we get out there. And um, I do believe that they were both absolutely divinely guided, but but at the same time they were here in physical and they had a mission to fulfill, and it's almost like they were mission impossible. You know, we, we have to we have to get this point out there so that people will be able to utilize it to their benefit. Well, you know, um, if you you've read the last the last part of the John section. Uh, where I'd say that you know they were that it was a it was a spiritual mission to uh-huh. reset to reset the creation. The third day that we hear about, he will be raised on the third day. Of course, is is the is you know the 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 appearance on the earth of the seed, and that seed had been choked through the history of human beings and I, I believe that Jesus and John were in a kind of if you like a secret mystical 
as you say, mission impossible, uh, impossible to conceive of almost, uh, to put the creation right again. And I think in some respects they succeeded. A lot of the things that were going hellishly wrong in their time uh, started to dissolve. The temple system, which had become totally corrupt, disappears within uh, a generation of of Paul. Um, the, the, The nature of religion in the world changes. Uh, but all these changes are all right, but it requires people to be engaged with these changes. Uh, a person can change, um, but we need we we we're faced now with the realization that that we we there has to be a far more general change in in our spiritual direction. I think we have reached the uh, reached the elastic limit say one person can do uh we we now need to and i'm talking about the whole planet not any of these country these countries you know i always refer to god's jews god's muslims god's christians god's atheists god's agnostics god's chinese god's english whatever you know we we draw up these walls we're the ones who destroy the bridges of what was originally one being of man, and I think these 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 works point to that the original man is the man, and I'm talking man in the generic, not the male sense. The original man is the man of light, who came from a higher realm and has been lost in darkness, and uh, this light has been left on. I picked it up, and other people have passed on. The flame. I love and, the uh, uh, you know. I, I love the metaphor you use. And, and did it come from <clears throat> old prophe- prophecies in the Old Testament? The, the fact of the seed that creates the f- the fruit that has the seed within, <clears throat> referring to humanity. Was that from? Yes. Well, that's in Genesis, that? isn't it? That's yeah. The third, okay. third day. Yeah. The seed which bears inside it, the seed, I forget the exact phrase, but that's what the resurrection is about. Uh, is, is, and that's why it's the, on the third day, the priest would, would offer the new, uh, the new growth to the people. And that was, that's what the third day is, is about, uh, after Passover, is the, the, the first fruits. The first fruits are shown to the people by the high priest. That's the symbol of the resurrection. That's why Jesus raised on the third day. It's, it's not because he went to bed at Friday and got up on Sunday, because that's not three days. Uh, the, third, the third day is the, the revelation of the new, the new fruit. In other words, it's, it's a new, what Jesus, I think what they're aiming at, what, what, maybe Jesus knew more than Paul, I don't know, uh, than, than John, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, but the aim was to produce a new fruit a new creation, and, and effectively a, 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 an open door to the kingdom of heaven for all mankind. I believe they did open that door, but nobody's forced to go through it. Well, there probably have been some that have gone through it, but um, but the reality is that that <clears throat> we we have an eternal part within all of us so that 
we'll keep working till we get there. And um, I loved that metaphor. That was to me. That was um, it struck a chord. And the fact that you know that that Jesus died, but the seeds that he planted have lived on. And, yes, and that's right. The that's same. It. The same with. You know, the same with John yeah, the but, but you see, and, it, and isn't it Paul who says, you know, the seed has to go into the ground and die to be reborn? You know, that's Paul. Attributed to Paul, that line, isn't it? So, you know, you yeah. can't just dismiss Paul. Uh, straight, mi- mixed up character, he may well have been. Uh, but, you know, he, he did have a lot of the wisdom uh, as well. The, 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 that, that's it. The, the seed has to go into the ground and then, and then be reborn. And uh, I don't think this is, you can just make a slightly, as I say, oh, this is DNA and we carry ourselves on in DNA, helix, spiral, chromosomes, all that stuff. I, I think we're talking about the spiritual seed. And uh, yeah. it, it only requires you to make the leap of judging, looking at, instead of thinking of the spiritual as the insubstantial, the unreal, whereas matter is solid and the dependable, the real and our security. Try it the other way around and say spirit, yes, difficult to see, etc. Take that as your as your primal reality and then you will find a totally different value in your natural world. Jesus used all these parables based on nature. He didn't he didn't talk highfalutin philosophy and metaphysics. He saw that the natural world is a symbol of the spiritual world and the, and vice versa the supernatural is the symbol of the natural world and vice versa there's a, these two worlds are really one well now all of the people that wrote the books in the bible attributed to these people none of them actually physically knew jesus well absolutely so that, and it's it's very clear it's very clear from the way they write that they don't and they they were finding out that most of them were finding their Jesus through looking at Old Testament prophecies and just saying well that's a prophecy so that must have happened so they just rewrite the story into the into their first allegedly first century narrative um, and they said, well, it must have been like that you know so this, because the whole the original preaching about Jesus. Uh, that that the Peter apparently apparently their original preaching seems to have been that look the prophecies have been fulfilled but what do we mean by the prophecies have been fulfilled which prophecies and what aspects of them have been fulfilled you know it wasn't a question of somebody said in uh, 700 BC this will happen oh and it's just happened it's not that there are no those, those sort of predictions it's not prediction. Prophecy is stating what is true. In other words, the word is made flesh. What what we thought was an ideal for the future has actually happened amongst us. And somehow this conviction that something had happened in the lives of these people that really was the fulfillment. And they could fulfillment means you can see what the original meaning was. It's become manifest. The word has been made flesh. You know, the, the, what, what you thought was imaginary is real. You know, and uh, the great struggle of, of real Christians through history has been to try and convey this thought in a way that means something to people. 
very, very difficult. We're very, very attached to our, to our myth, our myth, our myths and our paradigms of what's real. And and the true message of the of, of the master has always confounded one's sense of reality. Well, and it's just, because, yeah, go on. Because because none of what has been written were from people that physically knew him or heard him. I, I, it, it boggles my mind that more is not pres- since since John had well, a larger yeah, following. Yeah, of, course. Of, of course, Barbara. But the, the problem is, is that it's not been in the church's interest to suggest that their foundation documents were secondhand. You know, and and so for uh, that, you've got to remember that until this century, most people in the world could not read; they had to be read to. They couldn't yeah, read, but, but, and they therefore they couldn't uh, they couldn't assess the truth value, be, and and the whole thing is sewn up. Why has not more been preserved of what John said? Well, I think uh, not much has been preserved of what Julius Caesar said, apart from what he actually wrote. That some of his works, yeah. have been, you know, that, that you can't. Ex- I mean. Somebody once said to me, "Archaeology is is really like imagine a whole load of papers burnt in a fire, uh, going up a chimney, and what lands in front of the uh, fireplace afterwards is what we what archaeology can tell us of history. So we should mm-hmm. we we should be great very grateful for what we have got to go on. Uh, inadequate as it is, we can't build up a three D picture. Uh, that's always the thing that amazed me about movies was." biblical movies, the way they fill the screen with things. And it gives the impression that we know what things are like. But of course, you spoke to somebody at the time, they'd say, no, no, it wasn't like that at all. Perhaps no doubt. Good grief, they wouldn't have worn that, you know. and That wasn't what it was. And that's ridiculous, you know. But, but, But because we're used to a cinematic way of representing our stories, we because the screen is filled, we think the story is filled. But in fact, to build the true story, you have to start with the elements. And obviously, most people are too busy in their lives to do this. So I write books, so you can just read mine, and you get, <laughs> you, get you can get it. You can get it for a few hours of your of your valuable time, and you hopefully not waste. You become a twenty first century Josephus. Well, I, I, I'm not very fond of Josephus, so I don't like that. <laughs> He's a very good writer, and I, I hope I'm more than I hope I'm more than an historian. Although he was trying to do something very important, he was trying to say to the Roman and Greek-speaking world, "Look, not all Jews are nut- nutcases." Yeah, that's what he was trying to say. They're but not all seditious. He preserved history too, which I think is phenomenal. He did. Oh. Oh, of course. You know, the trouble is being a historian is I often take that for granted, but you're absolutely right. He preserved... Well, without Josephus... Well, you're right. Without Josephus's account, my book could not have even begun. Couldn't even be considered. So, well, and, yes. And history, history is written by the... <clears throat> history is written by people the victorious. Right. <laughs> so, written, well, um, not always. It's written, it's written by the people who can write and, and maintained yeah. by those valued. Um, the, the victorious writings very often uh, don't last, actually. Um, you know, the truth will out, I would say. 
I always looked upon Josephus as as someone who was had to please the people that were paying him clearly, but who was trying to be as accurate as he could be without being a heretic. So I I, I really think that that I think he did a good job. He served what eighteen books, twenty books, something like that. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, 200 years ago, Christian families in, in Europe and, and uh, probably in parts of America used to read Josephus. Where, you know, a, a, a pious family would have the Bible and they'd have Josephus. After William Whiston's translation came out in the, at the end of the 17th century. So Josephus was regarded as part of Christian education and it, it has ceased to a large extent, to be that. And it's a great, great sadness and a great loss. So I think there's a great deal of reality in, in Josephus' account. And now we also have the, uh, the growing testimony coming from the so-called Dead Sea Scrolls, which is basically a library of first century BC uh, Jewish life. Um, I think it is a great mistake to think of the as an Essene library, as you constantly do, uh, it is anyway a collection of a collection of religious writings from the period of Jesus's uh, father, grandfather, great grandfather. I mean, is is the foundation period of what uh, John and Paul, uh, Jesus and Paul, were all raving about? It, that to ignore it is a terrible, terrible mistake. Uh, it is a it is a revelation actually what's coming out of the uh, of the so-called scrolls. All the, uh, in fact, all religious writings are Dead Sea Scrolls in a way. I mean, they've all been secreted. The Codex Sinaiticus was found at St Catherine Monastery in in Sinai uh, by Tischendorf in the 19th century. That's provided provided people with a, a much better uh, test for translations. Um, so we. The discovery of original scrolls is, 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 is terribly important, and, and it's very odd, I think, that the, the Gnostic Library, the Kenobuskin Library, the Nagamadi Library, were discovered in 45, uh, the so-called Desi Scrolls, 47, just uh, both just after the war. Very strange uh, coincidence after the, I don't know, I, I, it doesn't seem accidental to me, it seems, uh, seems to be you know. Well, you know, <clears throat> and I like to I like to believe that there's still a lot out there yet to be discovered. I mean, we haven't hunted yeah, down uh, all of the caves. Well, you know? you'd have to be very greedy, Barbara, because I don't think we've got to the bottom of the stuff that uh, that we have uh, we have inherited. I think we should. We uh, most people have never read a Gnostic gospel, so I think you know before you start wishing for uh, more more stuff from come out of jars and holes. Uh, it would be nice if people started to embrace what is already coming out uh, and pay less attention to the stock, stock market and a bit more attention to their immortal soul. I, I think it is sad that, that people don't, that, that so many people stick just to the one book and not realize that there are so many other texts out there. That I mean, there's the yeah. Gospel of Mary. There's the Gospel of. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. 
gospels out there it, it enough to choke yeah, a I horse. Think, I think, okay, I think Barbara, we're, we're, this conversation is starting to ramble. So you know, I think uh, we, you know, I, I, I think if, if, if our listeners haven't got enough to chew on by now, it'd be a, <laughs> a sad world. That's true, and I, I think it's, it's time we we kind of. First of all, recommend that everybody buys the book because I think the Mysteries of John the Baptist is is a fascinating book. I will read it more uh-huh. than once for sure. Yeah, it's and, definitely something you'll go back back to definitely. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to your to your next book too because that happens to be a topic I'm fascinated with as well. But but this well, we can is, talk about that all, next year. Absolutely. But this this book gives you so much meat to chew on and to investigate and to look into and to masticate, <laughs> to, to make sense and, and apply to your own life. That is just, it's, it's an amazing book, and I did love it. I truly did. Oh. And um, what is your website so we can send people to your website? Oh, it, it's all one word, TobiasCherton.com. Okay. TobiasCherton.com. People can go to that website and can, can learn more about you and, and all of the books that you've written. Um, I, I loved this book. I truly did. And I, I loved the, the book about um, Alastair Crowley that I read, too. I haven't read all of your Crowley books, but... Um, the one that I did read, I, I very much enjoyed. And, and I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today because this has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you, Barbara. It's been lovely to speak to you again. And I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. I can't wait for that book. So, so I think we'll tie it up and we will let Mark go because Mark, I want to thank Mark Eddy very much for being my go-between here because I, I can't do shows with people who are out of the country without Mark. So he is an integral, important part to, to this whole nightlight extravaganza. And I want to thank you again. I want to recommend everybody to check out uh, Tobias Kirtan because um, he has some magic there. And uh, I truly believe he's inspired. And, and I think that once you read some of his books, you'll agree that, that there is something very special going on there. Thanks again, everybody. This will be up on YouTube later on today. And uh, check it out. And if uh, you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so. That's the only way we know you're listening. Thanks again, everybody, and good night. <laughs>